Hey everyone, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you're joining me from. My name is Barton Seaver, chef, author, husband, father, joining you from the ragged, jagged, delicious coast of Maine. I really appreciate all of you joining us here today for this fun new uh, little co-adventure I like to take every now and then together. Um, thanks for being a part of the Ruby family. I see already a number of uh, friendly faces that have been here before, so thanks for joining us again. Any of you who have joined me before know that my voice sounds a little bit different because on Tuesday I came down with COVID. Um, yeah, and it kicked my butt uh, until about this morning when I'm feeling a little bit better, except I sound pretty bad. So if you can deal with me and my very dramatic announcer's voice, bringing you fats and flavor. Yeah, you ready for that? I think that was more like the wrestling announcer voice, but anyway, I'm practicing it because I think this is going to go away within the next day, and I would be remiss if I hadn't had my fun with my crazy voice. So, anyway, others of you who have joined uh, before know that uh, I like to start off each, little, uh, each of these with a little bit of gratitude, because gratitude is, in fact, the most important ingredient in, that we use in any dish that we make, because cooking people for people is an act of love, it is an act of kindness, and Lord knows the world needs more of that. So something I'm grateful for is the abundance of my pear tree. Um, whose boughs are no longer touching the ground, so heavily laden with pears. We've had a number of windstorms which have shaken just the ripest pears from the tree every day, so I get this incredibly rich abundance of uh, perfectly ripe pears. Uh, and to be honest with you, most of them have fed fruit flies um, and foxes and raccoons. And did you know foxes ate pears? It's kind of fun to watch them eat pears. Uh, another thing I'm grateful for, I'm going to step off screen here sort of a minute, is uh, this year in my garden for the first time I tried planting corn and I planted a number of different uh, indigenous uh, Native American varietals um, of all flint corn or like polenta corn or masa corn. Uh, but these are all polenta varieties that I did and I'm just beginning to dry them. And uh, yeah, I can't remember what any of them are called because I have COVID fog as well as um, I probably just forgot before I even got COVID. So uh, there's the truth of that, but I'm very excited to experiment with this. So something I'm grateful for. So I hope that you will take a minute and consider something that you are grateful for before you, next time you cook. Maybe it's just a glass of wine you have in your hand to help you relax, settle down. So whatever it is, gratitude is always fun. So any of you who have not joined before over in the right-hand side, you'll see the question box up there at the top. If you have any questions for me about fats and flavor or tilapia or unicorns or witchcraft or anything, I know nothing about witchcraft, but I just, I don't know why that came out. So any questions you want to ask of a chef, put them in there. If there's a question down in the gray boxes that you are, that's already been asked that you're particularly interested in, just click that little heart icon to vote it up to the top and I'll try and get to it uh, today. I have a relatively short uh, time with you today simply because my endurance is a lot lower and I've had uh, my little Rosie home with me. My two-year-old boy is home with me as well from daycare. He is not sick, but um, he's very excited to spend time with daddy. So that means he's at like 110% amped up energy and um, I'm exhausted. Anyway, I'm really excited to be here with you today. So we're talking about fats and flavor. Uh, this is not going to be an exhaustive course today. There's so much to talk about with fats and flavors. I mean, it is one of the principal, you know, sort of pillars of diet. It is in 
part of everything that we eat. There are fat, saturated fats, unsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, etc. They're all over the all over the place. Everything we eat. So this is not going to be exhaustive. Also, I'm not going to be able to give you a deep nutritional analysis of a lot of this. Uh, I will be able to point you to some. Uh, resources for this, uh, particularly over at the Harvard School of Public Health, Nutrition Source is one that I use quite a bit and that I looked into when uh, preparing for this event today. A lot of my colleagues over there at Harvard uh, have done a really, really nice job putting this together some information. So bottom line is from a health perspective, fats are very a vital part of our bodies. A lot of our bodies are in fact made out of fat, including a lot of, of our tissue as well as in, uh, very importantly, our retinas, our eyes, and our brains are almost entirely fat. So uh, fat, especially tasty, delicious, healthy fats like monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats like olive oils, uh, as well as those you find in fish like uh, omega-3s are in fact vital to uh, our well-being. And something that I believe very strongly in is a diet very much rich in seafood, but also basically considered sort of the Mediterranean diet, where oils and fat account for about 9% to 15% of total calorie intake. Uh, and if that seems uh, much, maybe, by your standards, well, maybe uh, we can talk about using better fats and using them better. And that's what I aim to talk about today. It's not about trying to get you to use more fat. It's trying to get you to use better quality ones and use them in a more impactful way. So that's what we're talking about today. So uh, I recognize that a lot of our Ruby family is coming to us from the Whole Foods plant-based arenas as well. So I understand that there's a range of medical concerns here. So any of the nutrition advice that I'm giving is given with a caveat that we're all different. We're all in different places in our lives. So uh, I'm trying to be as broad and as helpful as possible to the most of us as I can. So let's talk about first and foremost, what fats do. Uh, well, fats help to create flavor, right? So intramuscular fat uh, within beef, that marbling, right? That helps us to create flavor by rendering and helping to sear and to caramelize that Maillard's reaction when we're searing a steak, right? Or caramelizing the skin of chicken in a saute pan. Um, that fat is acting as a medium in that way in order to conduct heat from the heat source or the pan itself onto the surface of the meat or whatever the, the ingredient is, right? And that fat helps to, well, lubricate, but also... Uh, uh, sort of increase the heat that is available for transfer there. So uh, you can actually get the surface of a steak or a piece of zucchini or tofu, whatever it is, to a higher temperature, given that you have a little bit of that lubrication and heat transference there to do so. What else do fats do? Uh, well, they add flavor. So a vinaigrette made with a delicious olive oil. You are adding flavor with that olive oil. You, there's also neutral oils, vegetable oils, soy oil, canolas, etc., uh, where you're not really adding flavor. Uh, you're adding texture. You're adding mouthfeel. You're adding richness. Um, and you're also balancing, helping to balance the acidity or the salinity in things. Um, 
but really, when I, when I use oils, I almost exclusively use flavored oils. And by flavored oils, I mean oils that in and of themselves have flavor. So we'll get into the range of those in a few minutes here. Uh, but the other, things that, the other thing that fat does is that it carries flavor. So think about this. Take some smoked paprika and put a pinch of it into a, two tablespoons of olive oil and just heat it gently over a pan, it, over, over the heat, right? Or take a couple tablespoons of water and a pinch of smoked paprika and do the same thing and heat it up. You're going to find that the olive oil is going to hold that flavor. It's going to carry it. It's going to mature it. And it's going to become this big, broad, beautiful ingredient addition to your meal. Do the same thing with garlic. Simmer it in water. What happens? Well, the water tastes a little bit like garlic, but it kind of changes the flavor. Add garlic to oil. And it really, really broadens that flavor and it brings it to its, I think, peak potential in a way. So fat really does carry flavor, not only of spices or aromatic ingredients, uh, but fat also carries flavor as in uh, animals. So when you're looking at a steak, that marbling, again, that's where a lot of that flavor is really coming from, those volatile organic chemicals that are in the fat. Think about lamb. Why does lamb taste different than beef? Well, a lot of it is really because of the fat there. Um, so fat really does carry flavor. It adds flavor. It adds texture and richness. So uh, we talked about that it can be sort of the medium to cook. It can be sort of a seasoning or adding flavor to something. Uh, but it can also, in and of its own way, be a main ingredient. What am I talking about here? Uh, Pesto, right? Is it pesto good if you use a crappy oil? No, no, you just ruined your pesto. Uh, is a mayonnaise or aioli good if you use a really, just the wrong oil? Maybe it's an overly flavorful olive oil uh, or whether it's a rancid oil or whether it's a, you know, the perfect oil, etc. These oils and fats can really be the main, one of the main ingredients in a dish uh, in the way that sort of without that oil there, it simply wouldn't be what it is or what, what sort of the recipe is intending it to be. Can you make a pesto without oil? Uh, sure, you absolutely can. But what's the way to do that? Well, adding a fatty ingredient often in the form of nuts right? So that's the other thing about fats is that there are sort of external fats or extracted fats, olive oil, canola oil, anything you pour from a jar or a bottle, right? And then there are fatty ingredients, anchovies, herring, mackerel, salmon, the ones that come to my seafood brain, uh, nuts, avocados, sour cream, cheese, etc. These are all fats. And in the way that we conceptualize dishes, as cooks, as chefs, and the way that we, uh, COVID brain, COVID brain, COVID brain, uh, experience, ha <laughs> I found the word, the way that we experience dishes, whether it's cheese or olive oil that's in there, that really sort of, uh, works the same way on our palate. And one of the things that, uh, it does when it's on our palate is what fat does is it coats our palate, right? Well, we all know that experience of like a nice rich salad dressing or something rich, et cetera, where 
it coats our palate nicely. And what that does is it actually maintains contact of flavorful organoleptic, organoleptic chemicals. It maintains their contact to our taste buds for longer. And so it actually helps us taste something longer uh, and thus appreciate it, possibly appreciate it longer. So there's some really fun things that fat does, right? Fat is fun. But in the Western diet, well, we got a little too much fat. But it's not just fat that is the problem. And, and over the years, fat has been demonized um, in some ways, rightly so. But uh, I don't think that fat is the problem. It's our overuse of fat that is the problem. It's our unknowing consumption of fat that is the problem uh, when we're eating highly processed foods, etc. Um, but that butter that you put on top of your broccoli, that's not the issue because the broccoli is more delicious because of it. And so you eat the broccoli, etc. You know, and if it's that olive oil drizzled over, <coughs> excuse me, your luscious, you know, late September tomato salad straight out of your garden, like that's not the problem in our diets. It's the um, saturated fats that fill junk food, that fill uh, a lot of fast food products, that fill a lot of heavily processed products. That's the issue as well as the issue is an overabundance of carbohydrates in our diet. Um, carbohydrates then in turn, and protein as well, any excess in nutrients and calories that our body takes in, it stores, right? So really, the problem is not individual components of the Western diet, but rather the Western diet at large that is the issue. So when we talk about what fats we're supposed to be eating, the human body wants a, uh, a ratio of omega-6 fatty acids, which are found in corn, soy, a lot of vegetable uh, stuff, which overpopulate our diet. We want a omega-6 to omega-3. Omega-3s are ALA, EPA, and DHA as fatty acids that are very good for us, that we know are vital building blocks of good health. Uh, good cognitive function, cognitive retention, macular development, macular retention, etc. Um, we need a ratio of about three to one or four to one, sixes to threes. But in the American diet, we're up around 20 to one. And this is just because of our over-reliance on a lot of these mass-produced sort of commodity products. So bottom line is we need fats, but we need better fats used more conscientiously in our cooking. So again, fat is not the demon here, but rather it's our overuse, unknowing consumption of it. So again, any questions you have, uh, pop them over there in the comments section. Uh, I'm going to dive into first some oils, and then we're going to get into butter, and then we're going to talk briefly about animal fats. Uh, and after oils, I think I'll take a couple of questions. So any of you who have not joined me before, I hope you figured out I don't take myself too seriously because these things are supposed to be fun. So let's talk about sort of the, uh, well, the most important oil in the healthful oils category. Uh, and by most important, I mean the one that is sort of most relevant, most widely used, uh, and I think the most versatile of oils, which is olive oil. <laughs> olive oil is delicious, right? Did you know that you can spend $20 for three liters of olive oil? Do you know that you can spend $400 for three liters of olive oil? Do you know what makes a good olive oil? Anybody? Hmm. Uh, it's an olive oil that you like. 
that's what matters. That's it. Same thing goes with wine. It's like, oh, are you enjoying that $10 bottle of wine? Good for you. Good for you. Don't develop the taste for the $100 stuff, $100 stuff right? Just if, you, if you're good at $10 or $20, all the better. <clears throat> so let me show you what I use. I use this. There's a lot of different varieties that are out there. Um, this is just what I use because it's available to me readily at the local Italian market called Nacucci's here in Portland, Maine. Uh, $24 right now. It's gone up because of inflation and et cetera, but it used to be just 20 bucks for this, three liters. Um, yeah, why do I use this? Because it's neutral, not neutral in flavor, but just like it's middle of the road in terms of flavor. It's a little bit spicy, that oleic acid, you know, when you get a really peppery oil and it just bites you back here. Um, but it's also got those broad, slightly buttery flavors to it. This is a mix of olives, all different kinds. Uh, it says, uh, let's see, where does it say this is from? Probably somewhere on here it says, uh, yeah, you know, product of Italy or something. But that's, it's, bottom line is the vast majority of uh, <coughs> olives that are grown for olive oil are actually grown in Spain. Uh, and then transported over to Italy to be pressed, where then sold as Italian olive oil. All right, with olive oils, <coughs> we have been uh, cultivating olives uh, since before the written language. So it's been a very, very long time. <clears throat> olive trees are incredibly resilient. Uh, they grow very well in drought conditions. They require about 50 to 75% less water uh, than other crops and are, uh, well, they're so key to the Mediterranean flavor profile uh, all throughout the Mediterranean. And that means from Morocco and Tunisia and Algeria all the way around. So <clears throat> it is a vital component of, um, again, a good oil doesn't mean expensive. Uh, you can certainly get expensive, <clears throat> like, uh, these ones that I, uh, I bought on the Ruby budget <laughs> just for this event. Um, and luckily COVID has not taken my sense of smell or taste, but, um, if you can see these, um, so olive oil should have, um, to me a bright aroma, even if it's not, uh, even if it's a very peppery oil, peppery oils come from areas of like Tuscany that are hot inland, uh, oftentimes dry, as opposed to the more mellow, milder olive oils, which come from typically from coastal regions where you have a more temperate climate and a lot more and a little bit more moisture. Uh, but any olive oil that you have should have a bright uh, color. It can be murky still, uh, depending on the um, suspended solids in it, but it should have a bright color. It should have a bright aroma to it. Uh, whether that's grassy and floral herbal, whether it's citrusy, whether it's very olivey, uh, or whether it's um, very spicy, peppery, whether it smells kind of like mustard even. Uh, olive oil should be used within about two years of pressing. So even if you buy that fancy pants expensive bottle that won the World Olive Oil Gold Award. Uh, cool. Um, it's not so precious that you shouldn't use it up within two years, right? 
So when you taste olive oil, uh, depending on the varieties that you get, you're going to get very, very different flavor profiles out of it. This one, which is made from uh, four different kinds of olives, Ojiblanca, Arbequina, Morisca, and Picual, um, is very peppery on the back finish. It's nice and grassy with almost like a dill-like uh, sort of floral herbal aroma to it. <clears throat> Uh, and that's just a wonderful thing. So that, I would say, is definitely a finishing oil. Um, by finishing oil, I mean going back to, you know, is the, olive, is the fat a main ingredient? Is it a seasoning or is it a medium? Uh, if this was a main ingredient, uh, I could see this being really good in pesto. Nice, bright. It would, it would sort of complement that nice, suave basil flavor really very well and the richness of the nuts, whatever you use in there, whether it's walnuts or pine nuts. Uh, that would be a really nice counterpoint to it. Um, so there's that. If it was a medium, I'd say it'd probably lose a lot of its character and really probably not worth the expense in that way. Uh, and by medium there, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't cook a steak in it. Um, but like cooking zucchini. Yeah, absolutely. Things like that. That's, but that's where I use sort of the medium of the road oils. Uh, some of my very favorite olive oils come from the Southern Mediterranean. And if you can, I don't know if you can see into that, but you can see there's quite a bit of suspended particle in that. Um, to me, that's a good thing. It means there's a lot of flavor. It means it was made slowly. Uh, using hand methods rather than uh, machine extraction. And all of the olive oils that I use, I use exclusively extra virgin, uh, which means it's the, the very first and best quality stuff that comes out of the fruit, uh, as opposed to expeller uh, and mechanically and chemically uh, removed oils. So this is a Tunisian, uh, Le Moulin Majou. And uh, I've never had this again, but this is also another uh, thank you, Ruby, for buying this for today. So this one is much suaver. It's much softer. It's much more buttery, mellow. Mm. Man. But then all of that yields a very a nice and very pleasant bitter characteristic on the back finish. Think the way that like uh, radicchio is bitter on the back finish, uh, really almost exactly that way. So these are very nice components and I, I really love bitter in food. I think it's a really nice, good way to, uh, to provide like a counterpoint and some balance to things. So let's talk for a minute about smoke points. I know that we had a question um, come in here. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, No, you can't find it, but uh, I know there was a question about uh, some smoke points, and for that, I would uh, push you to uh, a wonderful resource that my colleague Katie brought up for me, and this is from Serious Eats, and if you, uh, maybe Patrick could put this up there at the top of the uh, queue, Serious Eats, what's a smoke point and why does it matter, and uh, that link will bring you up to this handy little chart. Um, so thanks to the Serious Eats folks for producing that. So it shows you at what temperature that oil is going to start smoking. And what in an oil smokes 
Well, there's suspended particulates. There's um, you know all sorts of different minerals and uh, just suspended things in there that after it's, after it reaches a certain temperature, those begin to burn. Once you get really past that point, that's where you get that really bitter, that very acrid, nasty, uh, what is it called? Ecrolane uh, is the chemical, I think, that's developed. <coughs> um, and that's where food just gets gross, right? I mean, just anything you cook in that is going to be tainted by that fully. So smoke point to me is a helpful measure. Uh, most of the you know, sort of clarified like vegetable oil, soy oil, canola oil, peanut oil, vegetable oil, those are going to have the higher smoke points just because they're purer. Um, and those are good for if you are searing a steak, if you are trying to cook something over very, very high heat. Uh, but you know what? In my cooking, I almost never actually do that. Uh, it's very rare that I try and kill something again. Uh, only with steak or with something like that, where I'm really trying to get a, a very rich sear on it. Uh, but even then, I'll just add a very scant bit of this. Um, so going down the list, you have grapeseed oil. So up at the top, you have rice oil, you have safflower oil, about 500 degrees. Going down, you have those sort of clarified oils like this, which typically are around 450. Uh, and then lard is 370, avocado 375, uh, sesame oil 350, butter is at 350, and extra virgin olive oil is somewhere between 325 and 375. You can sear a steak at 375 degrees pretty effectively. Um, so in my cooking, this is almost exclusively what I use. Why do I have this around? Super, super high heat things, yes, but really mostly for making aioli. Yeah, because aioli is a vegetable in our house. Yes, because it's delicious. So especially when you're making something like sautéed zucchini, where you start off with garlic, a whole lot of garlic, more garlic than you use typically, um, because everything should have more garlic in it, says the garlic farmer. Uh, I start off with the garlic, I add zucchini, and really I'm not trying to sear the zucchini so much as I'm trying to just cook it to the point where its juices begin to come out. I add salt to it to... Uh, facilitate that process and get that moisture out faster. And then what I'm really doing is I'm sort of flavorfully steaming and sauteing, but all the while sort of tossing it to really sort of emulsify those vegetable juices in with that olive oil so that you're creating a sauce as you cook the vegetables and it becomes this delightfully integrated thing. And therefore the quality of oil really matters. Um, because it is going to be an integral part of the flavor of your dish. So that's why I use almost exclusively olive oil. Um, and I use relatively inexpensive olive oil because I go through a whole lot of it. So let's talk about a couple different kinds of olive oil too. Uh, yes, there are fancy pants, you know, harvested by, you know, anyway children of the gods on some specific hillside on some specific mountain in some specific area of mythological Greece that are then proffered to virgins who then bless it and the oracle. It's like, okay, William Sonoma, like we get it. Cool. I got it. I'm not picking on William Sonoma. I just, there's a lot of salesmanship that goes into that stuff, right? And what do you need? 
Well, what do you need? You can probably find it at your local grocery store. But there are some specialty oils that are really fun to have around. Uh, those of you who joined me before know I like to talk about agrumato. Agrumatos are olive oils that are pressed with an additional ingredient. So this is blood orange, where the olives and blood oranges are combined together in the mills so that the flavor is not infused, but rather it's co-created, if you will. And the difference there is that it's it's just so much more built in. Uh, it's so much more integrated. It's just so much more fluent, if you will. Uh, I've got a Meyer lemon one, a delicious one. This is from the Seven Barrels Company. Uh, it's just, it's an incredible thing. And you only really need a couple of drops of it to finish things. Uh, and it adds so much flavor and aroma really is what it adds. Um, but it takes vinaigrettes to the next level. Uh, there was a question in here about um, uh, um, uh, from our friend Carolyn D. You're on a low-fat diet. What are the best oils that pack in flavor but can you use sparingly? What suggestions for reducing fat in your cooking? Um, so, you know, Carolyn, something like this in terms of vinaigrettes or sauces or, uh, you know, something where it is so flavorful but not overwhelmingly so. It's, it's so integrated and beautiful, ebullient in its flavor. Literally a couple of drops and woo, I mean, you're there. It's incredible. It's incredible what this would do to a steak, a piece of grilled salmon, simply poached halibut. And I'm talking literally a couple of drops and it's, I mean, it's as intense as is truffle, if you will. So um, Carolyn, this is, these are both really good things. So agrumato, A-G-R-U-M-A-T-O. And you'll find various different sorts of citrus and some with herbs as well. So I, I would recommend you go for that. Cool, Karen? Um, all right, another one that I have here, and then we'll move on. Um, we're at 2.30 here, is I have this really nice smoked oil, smoked olive oil, uh, which uh, I typically make, but I was given this as a gift. And it is very smoky. It is very delightful and very wonderful. Um, but you talk about like a, a Tuscan bistecca or a nice big uh, piece of salmon that you've grilled for 10 people and you're only feeding them just a little bit of salmon and just a little drizzle of this over the top. It's basically as effective as liquid smoke at adding all that nuance, that richness, that cabin in the woods when you open that door for the first time and that beautiful, you know, musty, but not dank, you know, fireplace laden scent just overtakes you as the, oh man, it's like the fresh woodsy breeze blows in behind you and you're like, yes, yes, please. Like, can I be there with my lover and hold hands and cook dinner and we eat? And yes. And wow. But actually you can add all of that to your food with just a few drops of this. Am I a good salesperson? Maybe I should go into sales. I kind of sold myself on that. Anyway, um, not so much talking about the brand, which I can't even tell what brand this is, but uh, I, I, I reject liquid smoke, but something like this is a really great way to bring that rusticity, that beauty, that romance of campfire, of wood grilling, um, wood oven roasting things into whatever it is that you're doing. This is a finishing oil, meaning it's sort of to season. Uh, a few drops of this mixed with a regular oil drizzled over tomatoes with a little sprinkle of cinnamon 
over top. I mean, just a little tiny bit of cinnamon over your next sliced tomato salad. You will thank me. Yes, a little bit of cinnamon on your tomato salad. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's delicious. It's crazy delicious. All right, that's enough about olive oils. Let's take a couple of questions here, and then I'll get into some specialty oils, and then we'll talk butters, and then we might be done. So, cool. Up to the top here from Chris. Hey, de hey delicious friend. How are you? By fluke, I came across your Alex vs. America episode and did a triple take. You were awesome, and you made us super proud. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, yes, I was on the Food Network, Alex vs. America, uh, their, their inaugural episode of that. So uh, I'll leave it to you to, to figure out how I did on that show. Um, but, hey, I was who I am. I was authentic and proud of who I represented myself to be, so... Thank you for saying that, Chris. Uh, always lovely to have you here joining us. Thanks for the compliment. All right, from Adolf. Hey, friend. Uh, so pleased to see you're the recovering. Thank you. How critical is use of no salt butter in cooking when salt to taste is often directed? Thank you. Okay, so we'll get to this in butters, but just off the top here. Uh, when you use salted butter, you have no control over how much salt is in the butter, right? And if you have to use a tablespoon, say, to you know, effectualize, effectually uh, saute something, meaning you have enough coverage in the pan, right? And, but then you have no control over how much salt you've just added. So salt to taste is precisely that. Why would you then give up control over salt to taste to the butter? Now, most butters are pretty reasonably salted. I mean, the, the, you know, I've never had a butter that was a salted butter that was like, oh my gosh, it's too salty. But still, I would rather have to full and total control over every aspect of a dish, including acidity, the balance of fat to acidity uh, and richness, as well as the salt content of things. So a piece of toast in the morning, I mean, I'm not sure there's much better than a piece of toast with salted butter on it, right? And just, yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. Um, you know, baguette slathered with salted butter. Like, yes, there you go. But when, you, when you're building a dish uh, where you're seasoning as you go, as good cooks learn to do, um, having that control is key. And that's why uh, what I have in here, my butter caddy that I keep, you know, for cooking, this is always, always unsalted butter. Cool, Ada. Appreciate you. Thanks for the question. All right, Terry B., thanks for all your past sessions and your simple approach, vast expertise, and the love of cooking is so greatly appreciated. Well, Terry, aren't you so greatly appreciated, too? Not just for saying that, but for joining us and being part of our family. You're awesome. Interested in your advice regarding oils for cooking with fish? You've always used butter. Hey, this is a good one. Uh, so, I'm a big fan of olive oil with fish. I mean, uh, let's talk Mediterranean, right? They eat a lot of fish, and they eat a lot of olive oil, uh, very little butter. There are uh, few fish where olive oil just doesn't work. Uh, and typically, those are fish that, uh, well, they, that they already have sort of a grassy vegetal character to them. Um, that I, I think some farmed fish can tend to do, like dorad, rata, 
uh, sea bream, some of those. And while they're always served at Italian and Mediterranean restaurants and drizzled with olive oil, I think it's like, have you ever actually tasted that? Uh, because it's not the best pairing there. Uh, in one of my books, American Seafood, I was writing about parrotfish. And parrotfish are a fish that eat algae off of coral reefs. And they're an essential part of the health of a reef ecosystem, sort of eating away old coral and allowing new coral to grow. Without the parrotfish, the, the whole system collapses. Uh, but parrotfish eat algae. And so when you cook parrotfish with olive oil, guess what it tastes like? Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, it tastes just mossy. Um, that's one of the few fish that was like, whoa, 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 absolutely, it's got to be a butterfish. Um, butter is pretty much universally good with fish. Uh, that dairy, nutty richness really works. Um, but especially with cold water fish, I find that olive oil works almost universally. Um, is, is good. I, I tend to go for the butterier, uh, richer styles of olive oil. So looking at maybe coastal Italian produced olive oil, olive oils, that uh, would be the way to go or an agrumato. I mean, a halibut ceviche with a little bit of blood orange agrumato drizzled over. Woo. Oh my Lord. Would that be good? Um, so that's where I'd stay. I'd say sort of a buttery rich olive oil with any fish is going to be good. Uh, the more grassy you get, the more punctuated oleic acid spicy you get, uh, I think the, the more difficult that pairing becomes. Cheers, Davey. Appreciate you. Elizabeth G., what's the best butter to use in baking compared to cooking? Uh, wow, okay. Um, I'm not a baker, but uh, we did see this question ahead of time, and my colleague Katie, who is, she's my business partner and my son's uh, godmother as well. Uh, the best butter for baking comes from Trader Joe's, she sent me. And this is uh, not just her opinion, but this is from Food 52. Uh, but the short answer is also uh, unsalted butter there. Again, you want to have control over how much salt you put into something. Uh, but salt uh, or butter has a couple of functions in baking, one of which is that it uh, well, fats prohibit or they slow down the development of the proteins in flour. And so you end up with a richer, flakier, more textured crust on things or, or sort of texture throughout. Uh, but also when, especially when you're dealing with like laminated doughs, croissants, puff pastry, and a laminated dough is when you make a dough and then you take cold butter and you basically put it inside the dough fold the dough over it, roll it out, put some more butter in, fold it over, roll it out, keep doing that. And what you end up doing is creating a thousand layers of butter dough, butter dough, butter dough, butter dough, butter dough. And as it cooks, as it heats, the water that's naturally inside of butter um, turns to steam and puffs up, right? It helps to expand to create that flakiness while the butter fat and uh, helps uh, slow down the development of the gluten proteins in the flour. And so you end up with this nice flaky textured crust. So unsalted butter, I don't know why Trader Joe's in particular is good, but I do trust Food 52. They really, really have their act together and I admire 
everything that they do. So there you go. Cool. Thanks. All right. One more from Judith T. Hey, friend. I love that you show up to these. We just returned from a trip through Scotland. Good for you. And overindulged in the most pristine seafood. You held, fell hard for langoustines, which you'd never eaten before. Can I recommend a purveyor in any special recipes? Um, I don't actually know anyone that sells langoustines in a... Uh, in a consumer format, uh, it's pretty special. Uh, I do know that Lang, uh, that Regalis Foods, R E G A L I S, uh, is an is a online specialty stuff. I mean, you can get live spot prawns sent to you. Uh, you can get live king crab sent to you. You can get soy sauce made by a two hundred year old monk uh, from a single monitor. Just, I mean, you can. Judith, you can spend your kid's inheritance very quickly here at Regalis Foods. That's not to say some of these things aren't worth it, uh, but they, I know that they've, I've seen some, some Norwegian langoustines uh, from them before, so check them out. Uh, I don't know if he's still in business, but Dirk's Seafood up in Chicago, where I, I know you're up, I think you're up in Evanston. Evanston. Um, uh, they do a really nice job. Uh, when they, when they, I, I assume they're still open, but they do a nice job. Uh, but also uh, check into Fortune Fish uh, out of Chicago. There's some very dear friends of mine. Uh, they they do mostly wholesale, but I I think they might have a retail market around. So check into them. It's definitely uh, sort of a special order thing. Um, it's not something that you're just going to find at, at even the Whole Foods. So, uh, but look around for them, and people might be bringing them in for the holidays uh, in a special, especially. So. Check them out. All right. Uh, let's talk about butter. Let's talk about a couple more oils real quick. So specialty oils, really, really finishing oils, butternut squash seed oil, sesame oil. Uh, these are for my friends at Fiore. Um, they run a nice little shop here in a couple shops here in Maine. And then uh, nut oils, pistachio, uh, roasted walnut oil, roasted peanut oil, uh, pecan oil, etc. This Roland brand does a really nice job with them. Uh, these larger containers, 16 plus ounces, is a whole lot. And I got to say, it's really hard to use up. These should really be kept in the refrigerator, um, mostly because you, people don't tend to use them very often. Uh, but these oils, when used in a vinaigrette, oh man. Uh, again, um, forgive me, I can't remember the name of the person that, that asked the question about uh, how do you reduce uh, the oil in your cooking, sort of the big flavor impact oils. These ones here <coughs> are a great way to introduce a huge amount of flavor uh, with just a few drops. Again, these are as sort of uh, flavor intense as would be a truffle oil, uh, etc. So, but one of the things that I really, really like about these oils, and they have these supreme nutty characteristics, duh, because they come from nuts, uh, is that they take sweet ingredients and instantly turn them savory. So I'm thinking about, well, I have an abundance of pears. So if I take four pears and slice them a quarter inch thick on a mandolin or just with a knife, uh, you know, seeded, of course, and then a couple of stalks of celery, very thinly sliced on a mandolin, and a couple of drops of walnut oil. Well, 
and and some lemon juice. I have a very savory salad. Very, I just it is beautiful. It is perfect accompaniment to any fish. Put a dollop of it on top of a piece of, piece of poached halibut, etc. Fold in some shrimp or scallops that you seared. I mean, whatever it is, like wow, and it's a savory dish. So, especially as you come into fall, where we have so many sweet ingredients, and by sweet ingredients, I mean uh, sweet potatoes, butternut squash, pumpkins, I mean, et cetera. Like, this is sugar, right? It delicious sugar, but that's what it is, and that's how we perceive it. So, having the characteristics uh, of these types of oils to add in just instantly brings it back to that very savory, savoriness appeal. Savory, savoriness appeal. That's good English there, author. Jeez. Man, if I had to listen to myself talk, I tell you, I'd probably talk less. But y'all come to see me week after week, and I really appreciate that. All right, from Karen. Karen L., what is avocado oil typically used for? Well, avocado oil, I'm looking at my trusty chart here from Sirius Eats. Um, it's got a pretty high smoke point, a little bit higher than um, extra virgin olive oil. So you can use it for sauteing. I, when I've had av avocado oil in the house, I use it just as I was saying about the olive oil, sort of starting off a dish of zucchini or squash or whatever it is that I'm cooking, uh, green beans, etc., where it's going to really integrate into the final dish and really become part of that integrated sauce. Uh, it's perfect for that. Uh, it's great in vinaigrettes as well. Uh, I, I've always felt that avocado oil has a different and pleasant uh, greasiness to it. Not greasiness. Um, oh boy, my COVID brain is not coming up with anything appropriate to say here. Um, a different palate coating sensation um, than, than does olive oil. So, I don't know. All right. Just basically, it's a it's a good stand-in for olive oil in just about anything, and even a stand-in for some of your sort of higher smoke point cooking oils. So, all right, from Diana. Hi there. Nice to see some new friends. Pleasure to have you join us. How healthy is it to add any kind of raw fat oil at the completion of a dish? Um, uh, very healthy. Uh, depending on what the oil is, if you're talking about these polyunsaturated fats like olive oil, avocado oil, agrumatos, pressed wal walnut oils, etc., um, I think that in fact you might actually be in sort of overarching being able to increase the the nutrition profile of a dish simply by when you finish a dish with a little bit of oil over the top at the end, you're getting so much flavor out of it, right? I mean, you're getting all of its aspects bloomed from the heat of the food. Man, and what does that allow you to do? Well, I think it allows you to use maybe a little less oil in the whole preparation of the dish. So in that way, sort of less is more. Um, and this is the same way that I think about black pepper. Uh, I like to use black pepper at the very end of a dish, freshly cracked from a, a you know, toasted peppercorns in a grinder, rather than pre-ground stuff at the beginning of a meal or at the beginning of the preparation. Uh, this way, just sort of, you get more of it by using less. So, there you go. All right. From my friend with the name that I mispronounce every time you write in. It's really great to see you, E. Thanks for joining us again. 
if 20 milliliters of olive oil have uh, greater than five milligrams of tyrus oil, this oil can have a health claim regarding cardiovascular benefits. That's why some Greek olive oils are that expensive. It has nothing to do with God's virgins. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yes, you are correct. Um, there are some olive oils that due to uh, location and um, uh, the method of extraction of them, uh, there's some very slow, very time-honored ancient techniques uh, that can leave a lot more of the um, sort of the fullness of the oil in there, sort of to its truest extent. So, sorry, my friend, if I offended in any way, I did not mean to. I did not mean to pick on Greek olive oil. Uh, also, uh, more so, just to speak sort of to the cult of consumerism, where the more um, adjectives we can throw on something, seemingly the better it is. So. Anyway, I'm pleased to have you join us again, and thanks for pointing that out to us. From Nikia, EVOO, how do I know which to buy? I've seen the same brand advertised smooth for sautéing or robust for marinades. Is there such a thing as an all-around EVO, or should I have different brands for different purposes? So great question. I've answered that to some extent, uh, to a good extent already. Uh, yeah, I have the all-purpose everything. I just blindly reach for it because it's there and I, I, I know what it's going to do to a dish. Uh, then I do have my finishing oils. I, the agramatos, these are the ones that really add a whole lot of flavor. Uh, I tend not to do a lot of finishing of really spicy olive oils, uh, partially just, I never learned to do that. Like I haven't studied Tuscan cuisine, uh, much. I certainly enjoy it. Um, but where the, the really spiciness of oils is used in a very effective way. Um, but the bottom line is, uh, you know, it, hey, if you've got the budget for it and you're going to use them up, you know, it's one thing to buy specialty products. It's another thing to buy them and use them. Uh, if you're going to use them up, absolutely, you know, play around with it. Hey, it's fun. And if you buy one and you, you, you end up figuring out that, Actually, just that one middle of the road olive oil is is what you need. Uh, then then go for that. So, but it's always good to learn because the best olive oil is the one that tastes best to you, right? Because you're the cook. That means you're the boss, Nikia. All right, let's take a break on questions for a second and get into butters, right? Because that's the other fat that so many of us use in our everyday lives. So, in my everyday life. Uh, the way that I see it is if I'm going to use butter, I'm going to use good butter, all right? The stuff that just comes from wherever and is the bulk commodity butter, um, honestly, that comes from an animal husbandry system that I don't support. Um, I, those animals are not treated well. Um, yeah, I, I don't support that. Um, just as the same way that I buy my beef only from purveyors that I know their practices. And I'm lucky in Maine to be surrounded by family farms where I could be provided by products that meet my own ethics. Um, the butter should be the same thing. Cheese should be the same thing. The milk you buy, in my opinion, should be the same thing, a reflection of who you are and what you want the world to be around you. So I use good butter. This is from Kate's Butter Creamery. This is a Maine brand. Uh, I'm not sure how far out of state it gets. But uh, it's absolutely delicious. It's crazy, crazy good. Um, 
Good butters tend to have a higher butter fat content. So when you talk about plus gras butter, which is sort of the classic French cooking butter, uh, it typically has, I believe, an 83 to 84% fat content, whereas sort of regular off-the-shelf butter can have as low as, uh, I think it's in the 70s percent, um, maybe high 70s. It's been a while since I've looked into that. Um, so one of the things that really bothers me is that if you go to saute something and you throw the butter in the pan, and the first thing that happens is the butter starts spitting back at you because it's boiling off all of that water that's in there. And there's water in every butter. That's just, there's going to be there, but it's sort of, what's that percentage there? Uh, the higher butter fat percentage, the less water is in there, the, the greater ratio of butter fat to butter solids, the milk proteins and the whey. Um, I just, I think that's better, right? And if you're gonna use something for flavor purposes, start with good butter. So, thanks to Uncle Ruby for buying me some fancy butters as well. Uh, there's all sorts of great stuff out there. And if you go even to, you know, upscale retailers, they'll probably have uh, some local products for you. If not, there's some national brands that are, that are really getting pretty good um, and some, some really good quality products. Um, you know, some of these are hand wrapped in beautiful butcher paper, you know, with, with wax paper underneath, etc. Like these are really fun. What do I use these for? If any of you have seen the recent uptick of the trend of the butter plate, which is the hors d'oeuvre of just butter, room temperature butter smathered all, do, all over a cutting board with various toppings on it that you then just dip your bread in. Like, yeah, so Instagram has finally caught up with real life and the way that people have been enjoying butter for a very long time, which is slathered on bread because it's delicious, right? So that's how I use these. If you're gonna spend $9, $11 on a half pound of butter, uh, it should be really flavorful. It should be ambrosial. It should be herbal and floral and fatty and rich and textured and just, wow, a little bit of it goes so far. What are great ways to enjoy these? Uh, and these, by the way, I almost always come salted because really that's how you're going to be using them is as a finishing ingredient rather than as a starting ingredient. Um, my very favorite way is, is uh, slathered on a piece of bread with an anchovy placed on top, a cured anchovy, and a little bit of chili powder. Not chili powder, like you're gonna make some five alarm chili, like Urfa chili or Espelette chili, etc. It's just so perfect and beautiful. Try some fresh radishes straight out of your garden with a little bit dipped into some butter, eaten with a little bit of flaked sea salt on top. Woo! So last thing to talk about is cultured butter. So cultured butter is where the milk or the cream, excuse me, is uh, inoculated with some bacteria and then uh, uh, bacteria, yeast, and, uh, COVID brain. It's inoculated and then left to sit overnight so that it ferments basically into like creme fraiche uh, and then it is turned. And so what you get is this very nutty, very Parmesan-y sort of hazelnutty flavor to it. Um, so cultured butter is just that. It's sort of an additional process which adds an additional layer of flavor to it. So that's my spiel on butter. So let's get back to some questions and we'll get out of here. 
Can I use the same olive oil for making crostini, caprese, and sautéing from the key again? Yes, uh, that's exactly what I do. Uh, again, sort of that middle of the road olive oil. You're going to be fine if your olive oil is good to your palate. Uh, I, I actually don't like crostini to be really spicy with olive oil. I think that bread and that toasting sort of brings out that spicy, grassy, mustardy quality in really pungent olive oils. Um, so, and I also like to basically deep fry my crostini. By deep fry, I mean like totally sog the bread with oil before I bake it so that they're sort of frying and crisping all in it. Um, that's how I like to make crostini. So they're really, I mean, they're explosively crunchy is the way I like them. So just from a cost perspective, yeah, go with the middle of the road stuff. Hey, Nikia, thanks. Really appreciate your great questions. From Kishore, I hope I got that right. Chef, does adding lecithin to chocolate making avoid the fat bloom not affecting any change in taste, flavor, or texture? This is a question that I cannot answer, but you know what? We are going to send, send that on over to our baking experts. Patrick, if you would be so kind as to do that, and we will get an emailed answer over to you in the next couple of days. Uh, I'm just not a dessert person, and I could fake my way through an answer there, but it would be exactly that. Just a bunch of mumbo that I'm not really sure about. I have a good idea about it, but we want to be sure because we keep pretending that we're experts here. And well, some of us are in our various ways and our various things. Cheers. Thanks for your question. What are my favorite aiolis? Ooh, Suzanne, you and I could be friends. This is fun. Uh, aiolis. So my deal with aiolis is uh, I, I just the plain, plain and classic, simple, straightforward aioli. But the way I tend to make my garlic, and so an aioli, excuse me, let me back up for those of you who might not know, aioli is a garlic flavored mayonnaise. Al, a i l i l, aioli, alioli. So garlic paste, basically. Uh, there's ways to make it that don't involve eggs, which is in a mortar and pestle, where you just take garlic, salt. Uh, potentially a little mustard powder, and you're grinding it up as you slowly drizzle in oil. Typically, that's olive oil that's used there, a nice buttery, rich uh, coastal Mediterranean oil. This is sort of the Nichoise version, uh, the Provencal versions of aiolio. Um, my version of it, though, I do use egg yolks, but I like to boil garlic first. So instead of just putting in one clove of garlic, I will take 40 cloves of garlic. Suzanne, I live on a garlic farm. I have a lot of garlic. I love garlic. When you boil garlic, and I boil it successively in cold water, uh, three or four times, depending on the size of the cloves and the pungency of the type of garlic. So put it in cold water just to cover. Bring it up to a boil for about 30 seconds. Pour it off. Cold water. Do it again. Do it again. So repeat three or four times. And what you're left with is super soft, sweet nutty, wonderful, everything you love about garlic. You know how it's called the stinking rose garlic? Uh, well, doing this process just leaves it as the rose. And it's so beautiful and everything you want out of garlic. Uh, I then cool that down, puree that with sherry vinegar is my preferred acid in aioli. Uh, sherry vinegar, which I use by the three liters, which I buy uh, online. The Sophie brand, Safi brand, um, and having a box back here. 
Uh, so sherry vinegar, that uh, uh, salt, egg yolk, until that's a paste. And then I use a neutral oil such as this, nine parts neutral to one part mildly flavored extra virgin, like my everyday one. That's my favorite aioli. What will I add to it? Uh, I love smoked paprika aioli, smoked sweet paprika. Uh, is the only smoked is the only paprika that I use. I don't like the bittersweet or the the mild or the the, the hot. I I just I prefer other chili experiences uh, to those. Um, I'll certainly throw in a couple of fillets of anchovy. I love me some anchovies, and if you can't tell, see that little stack of them over there? Yeah, that's about uh, thirty. 30 cans of smoked anchovies. That's the Roll-On brand. Get those online as well. Um, those are my favorite anchovies. They're absolutely delicious uh, just on their own. But puree a couple of those into your aioli, and you have uh, the sauce of the century. So you don't have to do that whole boiling garlic technique. You can just do one or two cloves. I like to use a microplane to do the garlic into it. Um, and I tend to use a food processor uh, I can do it by hand, but the, the, the emulsion will only last for about two days, as opposed to when I do it in the food processor, the emulsion will last five or six, meaning the oil will not break out of the, the aioli. Um, so that way I can make a whole lot of it and just use it for days. Tuna sandwiches, celery salads, chicken salads, just eating it by the spoonful because it's tasty. So... Hey, Americans eat ketchup by the spoonful, right? Might as well just eat aioli too. Hey. All right. From Hermela. Hermela. Hi, friend. Hermela. Dang. Okay. Hi, friend. Nice to see you. Nice to new have a new friend joining us. Hey, chef. Is clarified butter better for you? Some people believe it has less cholesterol. Could that be true? Huh. So cholesterol is a type of fat. I'm, I'm just going to kind of talk my way through this because I don't actually know the answer here. So I'm just going to give you my thinking, uh, which might lead us to a, a, a true answer. Um, but I, I'm sure it's more nuanced than, than I know about. Uh, but cholesterol is a type of fat. And clarified butter is when you have the butter fat is what's clarified from the water, the milk proteins, and the whey solids. So I would say that clarified butter would still have all that same fat components to it. Um, how the body responds to it in terms of like whole butter versus clarified butter, that's where I don't know. Um, but ultimately, uh, sort of a Again, getting back to the point I made at the outset, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know where, where you are in your life, if, if there are any specific health concerns that you're dealing with, et cetera. But again, it's sort of getting back to the idea of what are we demonizing, the ingredient or the, uh, or the, the larger you know, ecosystem of the diet itself. Um, and I also don't know where you're joining us from in the world or what cuisine is, is yours uh, or sort of diet is, is yours. Um, but in the Western diet, it is the, the overarching sort of the, the omni, om, uh, omnipresence 
of these fats in our diet that is the problem that leads to higher cholesterol, um, etc. But you know, in fact, fats are vital to our being, our well-being. So um, I think if the clarified butter is what gets that fluffed couscous with a bean ragu with broccoli and spicy chilies cooked down in a sofrito of carrots and celery and onions and all these delicious things that are all good for us and in the end are so healthful. Um, I think that's a good use of butter or clarified butter or whatnot. Um, so to me, you know, fat is something that helps us to enjoy the foods that we should be eating um, as part of a delicious, holistic way of looking at food. So I know that wasn't exactly to the point of your question, but there's my thinking on it. Wish you well. Uh, one other uh, a resource that I would, I would point you to, and Patrick, my colleague at Ruby, if you could pull this up. Uh, so if you go to the nutrition source, uh, what you should eat, fats and cholesterol. Um, if you type that in, you'll come up. And uh, again, I have this, this wonderful sort of guide, but the nutrition source, uh, created by Harvard School of Public Health is, I found, the best nutrition source uh, for information, the most up-to-date, rigorously um, studied information around this stuff, and it's communicated in very simple layman's terms that, that are really uh, meant for the public to, no pun intended, digest. So, all right, Beth, recipes say use a good butter. Can you share how to select a good butter, what we should look for? And thank you so much for your insight. Absolutely, Beth. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, so use a good butter is a, uh, what would constitute a good butter in a way to, to look for it? Um, you know, here price is, is actually a pretty good uh, measure. Uh, commodity butters are sold, um, I mean, they're sort of a loss leader at stores, right? Milk, uh, milk, sugar, eggs, flour are what grocery stores, you know, compete on in order to get you in the door, right? If they've got the sale on eggs and milk this week, it gets you in the door and you're going to buy the, all the other stuff where they actually make their profit, right? So butter has long been sort of seen as a lost leader, uh, a place where grocery stores lose money on in order to gain the rest of your business. Commodity butter is not good butter. Uh, that's what I was talking about earlier. Uh, you know, sort of it, it comes from a system of animal husbandry that I cannot support. Uh, anything that is uh, competing for the lowest price to me is, is not focused on the ethics uh, or sort of the larger circumstance of what that ingredient is supposed to be and how it presents our responsibilities to the world, right? Uh, I understand also that, you know, people have different budgets and, um, you know, we all live in different realities. So I, I am not making, placing any judgment on this by any means whatsoever. Uh, just saying that there are, well, Whenever we buy anything, we are, we are acting as part of a system, and we should be aware of, of our actions. That's all I'm saying. So what is good butter? Uh, good butter is inherently going to be higher priced than commodity butter. Uh, it's typically going to be branded. Uh, you're going to see things like pastured cows, uh, grass-fed 
uh, you're going to see some um, family names on there, etc. Look, you know, brands like Vermont Creamery, Kate's Butter are good, and these are nationally. Uh, I don't know about Kate's, but I know Vermont Creamery is nationally available. Uh, if you can shop at a Whole Foods, uh, they do a really good job. They've got a nice selection of butters. Wegmans has a great selection of butters. Um, so I'm just looking for some things on here that, uh, yeah, so this says cultured for 82% butter fat. Anytime you see any claims of 82, 83, 84% butter fat, uh, that's a good thing. Why? Because fat costs money. What doesn't cost money? Water, right? So commodity butter is going to have a lot more water in it. So any claims of fat content uh, higher than 82, 83, 84, somewhere in that range, that is the mark of a good butter. Um, I mean, I know some of these are all just, you know, marketing, you know, like natural and light and, and all that stuff. But 82% butter fat is, you can't fake that. Um, yeah, cultured butter is another one to look for. Uh, simply put, that's an added extra step. Steps always cost money. So good, only good butter or butter that is aspiring to be good uh, is going to, to reach that threshold, is to bother with taking that steps. Um, I mean, this one, look at it. It's got flowers on it and like a really nice label. And it's like a really nice named farm. It's called High Lawn Farm. And it's lovingly handcrafted at our Berkshire, our Berkshire's farmstead. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You had me at a low, right? Um, so that's what you're looking for. A bit of a circuitous answer, but uh, there's just not one. Uh, <laughs> there's no like good butter council with a certified stamp of approval that I can just point you to. Um, but uh, the last one that I didn't point you to was this is Beurre de, Beurre de Camargue. Camargue. Um, my French is lost in my COVID. I know how to say this. Um, uh, this is a Belgian sea salt. Um, I am, I'm just lost. Anyway, uh, French butters, any French butter that has made it overseas, any imported butter, uh, Beth, to your question, um, any butter that somebody's imported to this country is going to be a good butter. Uh, otherwise, we've got lots of dairy over here. We've got plenty of capacity to make our own cheap butter. So Kerrygold, uh, Schmier coming from Iceland, uh, Kerrygold from Ireland, uh, any, any sort of product of origin, you're going you're gonna to be in that good butter category. All right, so that's it on the questions, and that's about it on my endurance for today. I am going to go take a nap in the sun. Hey, I really appreciate all of you joining me today. I love you all. We love you from the Ruby family. Um, yeah, I'm grateful for all of you. Join us again here in the coming weeks. We're going to be rolling out some fun new topics. If, as always, you have any topics you'd like for us to explore, you see my email over there. Uh, well, it's barton at ruby.com. Send us any ideas. Follow me on Instagram at Barton Seaver. And otherwise, just cook with love, cook with gratitude, and we'll see you again soon. Cheers, y'all.